Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Andre Cassetta! Yay! Uh, and we've got another very great episode for you. It's 420, and uh, at this point in the day, I'm high as hell, dude. Nice. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, really hope you are all enjoying this and having a very safe and very fun 420. Uh, but before we get started, we have some news and review. <laughs> the news is that we have a Patreon now. I guess I gotta stop calling it news soon. Yeah, it's not news. They've been knowing about it. They have. We have a Patreon. You can find out more information at patreon.com slash cult podcast. Um, and then we also have another five-star review. <laughs> this one comes to us from Beck M. Uh, and they say, I'm super digging this show as I wanted to know more about Colts. And they have totally delivered. And they make me laugh. Thanks, guys. Rebecca at TV Tangents Podcast. Aww. So that's a... That's a free shout out for that podcast. <laughs> Good call. Um, we'll we'll read pretty much anything if you leave an iTunes review for it. Yeah, if you yeah. have jams or jellies you want to promote, yeah. satanic rituals, whatever, Hell just yeah. leave it in a five star iTunes review for us. There you go. Uh, leave the, the what's it called the Latin curse from uh, Cabin in the Woods and we'll read it we'll read it out loud absolutely not <laughs> never in a million years yeah if I see Latin I'm not I'm not reading no it mm -mm, mm -mm. um and I think without any further ado we're gonna get into the show hello hello, hello. <laughs> it was bad this time it's I'm hard sorry to it's do so remotely. bad it's really hard. <laughs> For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always... These are our opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have... Andrea Cassetta! Yay! Yay! <laughs> and it's Armando's week again. It's 420. It's been 420 all month. And we've been talking about a guy that does fuck tons of drugs. And I wish I could say that we planned that. Uh, but two of us were too stoned to plan it, and I wasn't paying attention. So literally, uh, just lucky, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think you could say in every sense of the word, this is my week. This is <laughs> this is like the closest thing to a religious holiday that I get. Yeah, I noticed that. We have prayer candles we're going to light, mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> we're going to smoke it out to the God of Doobie. To the God of Doobie, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I've been really just enjoying the ramp up to 420. In fact, so much so that uh, because this episode comes out on 420, I have dictated this time legal property of the date of 420. So I am high as hell <laughs> right now, too. You haven't been high as hell for years. <laughs> 
uh, we have the perfect episode. If you are celebrating with us for 420, then uh, you're going to love it. And even if you're not, it is a crazy fucking story. This just like, there's so much. Uh, he's really like the, um, the, the Forrest Gump of cult leaders because <laughs> he just like, he has his fucking hands in everything. They're just like a million different famous people pop up throughout this story. And you're like, really? You, you're going to attach yourself to Timothy Leary. <laughs> Mama always said, life is always like a dragon that's melting. (laughs) (laughs) Mama always said, life was like a box of chocolates, and sometimes your friends will drug those chocolates. (laughs) So let's get into this episode. Our sources, uh, the main source for this entire series, too, has been the book Storming Heaven by Jay Stevens. It's a really, really really interesting book that looks deep inside of the life of timothy leary um and then we have a video on timothy leary by the youtube channel biographics and then last but not least we have the autobiography flashbacks by timothy leary which is an interesting book but not a good source because it (laughs) it turns out you can't trust the memory of a man who has done lsd every day for his entire adult life i mean it reminds me of when we had manson in his own words as a source where he the only thing he can seem to remember is just like and i stayed all night in that pussy and it was fantastic and you're just like oh okay all right great that's what we (laughs) have chosen to remember I forgot that he described vaginas like an Airbnb review. Where he's, <laughs> he's just like, I stayed all night in that pussy. Four-star pussy. The amenities were insane. They had free parking. They had water bottles in the fridge already, so I didn't have to go get the water bottles. <laughs> Not enough spiders. Two stars. <laughs> oh, my God. That's great. Um, so... Previously, last week, Timothy Leary had tried magic mushrooms for the first time as part of a Mazatec ritual, but instead of getting closer to ancient Mexican gods, he was just able to take a closer look at himself. And before he had even sobered up, he decided that shrooms were the key to unlocking psychology's true potential. He convinced his boss at Harvard to allow him and a few of his colleagues to study the effects of the drug. After one okay experiment and several very questionable experiments, it became clear (laughs) that the group wasn't so much doing research as it was creating a prototype for the free love cult. See, if I slice these hot dogs and I put them in the macaroni and cheese, life Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. becomes like a trailer park. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Science experiment complete. (laughs) So Herb Kelman, one of Timothy's co-workers at Harvard, filed several formal complaints, compiled evidence, and even whooped Tim's ass in a public debate on his unprofessionalism. On 420, Herb? On 420? (laughs) (laughs) This is our day, Herb. You were named for this. (laughs) The project was canned, Timothy wasn't invited back to Harvard, and his career as an academic seemed to be over. So it turns out that the real Harvard psilocybin project were the friends that we made along the way. (laughs) And I only... 
I only say that like half jokingly because it will come up a lot today. It just like time and time again. Um, it's something that we kind of touched on very briefly last week that Timothy had this weird connection to pop culture. Because in addition to young professors, grad students, and researchers, Timothy's project was very welcoming to writers, musicians, and thinkers. Allen Ginsberg, Dizzy Gillespie, and even Alan Watts were all regulars at Tim's psychedelic supply closet at Harvard. Sorry, I just forgot this all happened in a supply closet. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot. Yo, you want some LSD? No, just a mop. Uh, <laughs> there's a mess. Somebody threw up outside. How sure are we that this is not what the Chronicles of Narnia was based off of? <laughs> I mean, considering that the Chronicles of Narnia was written about 30 years previous, probably not. No, man, uh, but it's like but... you go in this tiny place and it's like a whole new world. <laughs> but also they got staples and tape if you need it. <laughs> I give this a black closet four stars. <laughs> so many spiders. <laughs> so many spiders. <laughs> but one of the most important people who rolled through, at least for Timothy Leary, was an author and a philosopher by the name of Aldous Huxley, who is most remembered for writing what many called the world's greatest pickup line, Girl, how you gonna handle Aldous Huxley? <laughs> oh, God. He, he wrote Brave New World. He did. He did. In, okay. In 19... He also wrote The Doors of Perception, where he took mescaline and then chronicles chronicled his experiences. I wonder where he got the idea. <laughs> I'm going to say from Eileen Warnos, but I know that that's not correct. <laughs> I just also know that she did that, except that her recollections are of her sleeping with the lead singer of Foghat and him not having an impressive dick. Oh, God, Wait, I, I forgot about that. I thought she did that. meth, not mescaline. Oh, she did both. Uh, but oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, mescaline was a big one. Yeah, you're going to kind of see a little bit where uh, Aldous Huxley got his um, appetite for psychedelic drugs. Story checks out. <laughs> In 1932, Aldous wrote a book called Brave New World. It was the story of a futuristic dystopia and how futile but also fulfilling fighting back can be. As far as novels go, this one was a certified banger, okay? Yeah, it's like an AP required reading for, like, to this day. Like, I had to read it in school. I would assume people still do. Yeah, it's it's a huge book. A lot of lists still hail it as in the top 100 most important books written in the 20th century. It's like a, a really huge deal. But that was 30 years ago, and now it was 1960, and he had just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he realized that the one thing he hated most in his life was when people would complain but didn't offer any solutions. And he realized he was guilty of this too because his biggest book had been a dystopian novel, which was like the ultimate form of complaining. True, true, <laughs> true, 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 true. <laughs> so the obvious choice for his final project was to write a utopian novel. The problem was that Aldous Huxley found utopian novels to be super fucking boring. They are. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. I'm a big dystopia fan. Exactly. Same. 
Aldous said that they always seem like disjointed thoughts and exposition. He said that they read more like manuals than manuscripts. But while writing his own utopian novel, he realized that he was falling into the same trap as his contemporaries. And in order to get himself out of this funk, he decided to pay a visit to Tim and the Lab Madness Boys. Which uh, is what, I, this is true, I just found out, this was their actual chosen nickname. The Harvard Psilocybin Project liked to go by the Lab Madness Boys. Lab Madness Boys sounds like Robotnik's sidekicks in a Sonic video game. Like, <laughs> like just like small robot animals in lab coats that are twins for some reason that are just like constantly throwing balls of energy at you. I've been playing a lot of Sonic. I assume that they're people that have ripped the arms off their lab coats. I assume that they were people who were working for Robotnik, but then quit to drop the world's hottest (laughs) mixtape. They do kind of sound like Crash and the Boys in Scott Pilgrim (laughs) or the Katianagi twins, who, if memory serves, are not wearing lab coats, but are wearing like fancy Japanese coats that kind of look like lab coats. And then they basically make electric gorillas that smash people or dragons they make the dragon anyway so did the lab madness boys they also (laughs) made made, dragons they made people see a lot of fucking dragons (laughs) so aldous took a trip both literally and figuratively he flew out to cambridge but then when he got there he tried psychedelic drugs and it changed him forever he described it as walking through a door to a place called the other world And in this other world, you can see everything about yourself. You see the real you with no lies and no ego. And he decided to stick around the lab madness boys, observing their attempts to blend science and psychology with the magic of mushrooms. I feel like this is actually a pretty common thing with psychedelics in general, but specifically with DMT, where people describe it as an other, like... I want to go to that other place. And the difference with DMT is everyone describes the same other place, which is fucking terrifying. Oh, but yeah. I think that's a, a really interesting commonality with psychedelics that people automatically associate it with not being of this world, but somehow being a tangible place. Yeah, it's something that we uh, we kind of covered a little bit last week. That's just like when you when you are tripping, it changes the way that your brain thinks. So it doesn't even compare to the emotions and thoughts that you have while you're not tripping. So it's pretty easy to see why people thought it was literally an entire other world. Mm. So his time at Harvard inspired Aldous's last book. He called it Island. The story is about the island of Pala, where a civilization lives in a utopia. And their secret is a fictional psychedelic drug called Moksha. The Polonies take moksha once a year, starting in their early teen years, and then they are urged to use what they learn in the other world throughout their lives. The people of Pala were not portrayed as savages, though, unlike the utopian society Aldous described in Brave New World. The Polonies people were focused on education, restricted industrialization that meant that people got to live fulfilling professional and personal lives, and blending their culture with select parts of Western culture. But mostly, the book wanted to focus on how fucking awesome Moksha was. (laughs) (laughs) 
Surprise. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Aldous released Island in 1962. He continued to hang out with Tim and the Lab Madness Boys until he passed away the following year. His last request was an insanely huge dose of LSD-25, and he went out tripping. Damn. Did he die during the trip? Oh, yeah. He, what? That That's kind of badass, actually. Yeah, what? They gave him LSD, and then he stayed alive longer than they thought he would, so they had to give him a second, bigger dose of LSD to get Fuck. him higher again. That's crazy. Wow. The death hit Timothy Leary really, really hard, especially since it had happened just three months after he was asked not to return to Harvard. But there was still a silver lining. Timothy thought that Aldous Huxley was one of the smartest people to ever live, and Aldous's idea of utopia was exactly what Tim had been working towards. He wanted a world where everyone takes psychedelics, a world where science and mysticism are allowed to coexist and mixed. And so after Aldous Huxley passed away, Timothy knew what he had to do next. He was going to create the utopia that he and his friend had always dreamed of. Are they going to start a band? (laughs) That is what it sounds like. Here's the next great idea, guys. So, Timothy knew that he needed three things if he was going to pull this whole thing off. He needed a group of psychologists and intellectuals, he needed a steady supply of drugs, and he needed a place so far away from prying eyes that nobody in the press would ever hear what they were up to. Wisconsin. (laughs) (laughs) Okay there, okay now. You know, we had some news there recently. What's the news? <laughs> oh, a bunch of idiots in Brookfield stormed the state capitol because they want uh, they want people to reopen the city. Yeah, it's just don't protest right now. But ever since the news broke about what he was doing at Harvard, everything had changed. In 1963, psychedelic drugs were totally legal in America. Timothy might have been the first person to put his theory on paper, but he was far from the only psychologist that saw how useful tripping could be. Other universities, most notably UCLA, were running their own research projects on psychedelics. Go Bruins! (laughs) And tons of other therapists were using psychedelic therapy to help patients access repressed memories or to overcome strong emotional trauma. But Tim went and fucked all that up. A psychologist would have to be out of their goddamn mind to want to link themselves to him professionally. And now, there were regulations limiting the sale of LSD and psilocybin to only working psychologists and academics in the field. And Tim was none of those anymore. And the whole country had heard about the crazy shit he was getting into. So that meant wherever he went, prying eyes were sure to follow. But Tim had it all figured out. An entire wave of his former followers at Harvard were about to graduate. And their time with Tim made it impossible for them to return to what they called, quote-unquote, traditional psychology. Which basically just means actual psychology. Right, 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 right. (laughs) But it was clear. Wherever Tim went, they knew that they had to go with him. 
As for the intellectuals, Tim had that covered too. He spent some time in Los Angeles and New York City to try and drum up buzz for his new mission. He partied with the rich and famous, he tripped with some of the greatest thinkers, and one night he apparently even hooked up with Marilyn Monroe. He What? Yeah, and he allegedly specifically partied at the spiral staircase, which is where the Manson family partied. Damn. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I was okay, here's something that I was thinking about, just as a small aside. Um, you've seen pictures of Timothy Leary, right? Yeah, absolutely. Doesn't he kind of, just a little bit, resemble Marshall Applewhite? Yes, a little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's why Bonnie Nettles was able to get in contact with the spirit of Marilyn Monroe? <laughs> <laughs> because she saw Marshall and was like, Tim? Is that Tim? Oh, that's not oh. Tim. I don't even want to be here. Well, as long as I can, I'll answer some questions. <laughs> Y'all got any pills? Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a sad, sad lady. Yeah. By the time that Tim got back to Cambridge, the social elite were all begging to cut him a check. They all wanted to help him with this great new mission. And he used the first third of his newfound wealth to form the International Federation of Internal Freedom. God damn it with the names. God, yeah. cults need to get better at naming their shit. Well, it's if, if for short, so. Yeah, it's if, if for short. <laughs> Which sounds like a dog sound or some type of like, if, if, if. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I like is that the International Federation of Internal Freedom sounds like a group of masturbation enthusiasts from the Star Wars universe. (laughs) Our freedom is internal, and by that I mean I do it inside my house where no one else is watching, so don't infringe (laughs) on it. Don't go blowing my planet up with your Death Star just because I'm handling my Death Stars. (laughs) So the Federation, or if, if for short was soon legally allowed to buy psychedelic drugs, which is exactly where the second third of Tim's new money went. He just bought as much LSD and psilocybin as he could possibly afford. And then the last third of his money was the best part. Tim had found the perfect place to kick back, relax, and get real weird with it. It He wasn't weird before? (laughs) (laughs) Tim had found an abandoned resort a few hours up the coast from Acapulco called the Hotel Catalina. It was built on top of a hill overlooking the ocean. It was surrounded otherwise by jungle. And the Hotel Catalina was exactly what he pictured when he imagined the utopia on the island of Pala. On the first day of summer, 35 psychologists, writers, artists, poets, and thinkers piled out of a caravan and checked into the hotel. And from the moment they got there, they all wanted to do just one thing, to go as deep into the other world as humanly possible. So every day, they basically split up into three groups. The first group was given a huge dose of psilocybin or LSD. The second group was uh, a group of essentially guides that would help guide them through the other world and interpret what lessons they learned in the other world and how they could use that to help themselves in their normal life. 
Um, the third group was basically whoever had tripped from the day before because they needed a whole day to fucking get back to normal. That makes sense, actually. Yeah. It takes yeah. a lot out of you. It does. It does. Also, part of the, the utopia um, concept that Aldous Huxley described was a good mix between professional and personal life. So that meant that even though they were tripping and having a bunch of fun, they still needed one whole day to just like have off and do whatever the fuck they wanted. Timothy Leary acted as the group's leader, passing through each of the three groups multiple times during different parts of the day. So in the morning, he'd fucking take a dose of LSD or psilocybin and start tripping with group one. And then when everyone was pretty much peaking on their high, he would start guiding them through the other world and then as he was like you know coming down he would switch to group three and just chill by the beach fucking drink a margarita you know just hang out have a fun time he was loving it he could just do basically whatever he wanted and had access to as many drugs as possible for him it was like a fucking paradise it was awesome how did he fund this he funded it with all the money that he made fundraising at those parties Oh, yeah. okay. He basically went to L.A. and New York City and just did all this cool shit and also apparently slept with Marilyn Monroe. For sure. Um, so he called it like a retreat and it's like, hey, like come to our retreat slash research center and do all the drugs. Like, is that? Well, that's the thing. It turns out that Timothy hadn't been completely honest with everyone about what they were doing there. Oh, no. If If had been founded as a nonprofit research project aimed at continuing Tim's experiments with psychedelics. All of Timothy's former colleagues and a ton of people funding the group thought that the move to Mexico was just to avoid attention from the press. They were like, oh, he just wants to, you know, go where no one knows your name. Like a reverse cheers, if you will. <laughs> I mean, this violates the cardinal rule of never follow a hippie to a second location. Uh, <laughs> I think more than ever, we need to remember that now. Exactly. Because <laughs> this isn't even a second location. This is like the fifth location. Yeah, it's a whole other <laughs> country. If you have to cross a border. <laughs> so Timothy told everyone that he was working with that the goal of the summer project was to create a guide for leading someone through a psychedelic trip for the purposes of therapy. But after a while, everyone started to notice some really weird terminology being thrown around. Tim would step in as a guide while the group was tripping, and then he would urge them to become one with the universe and told them that soon they would all become Buddha. And when his psychologist buddies asked him about why he was involving religion, he claimed that it was just to, you know, help the vibe. It's just to create like a cool sort of like chill thing because nothing's chiller than Buddhism, dude. I mean, if history has shown us anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. Buddhists are definitely the chillest religion unless they're setting themselves on fire in protest, in which case not so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like he was just where the 90s ended up. He's just there 30 years early. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. I'm just thinking about what it would be like if Jehovah's Witnesses used this approach. If you took, if they wanted you to take psilocybin and then talk to you about Jesus. 
<laughs> Have you heard the good word about getting high? <laughs> they would have gotten Armando. Oh, yeah. They would have gotten me so much faster than they did. Watchtower's <laughs> named after the all-seeing eye of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> but the real reason that he had been using Buddhist terms was because the Polynesian people in Ireland had built a society on Western science with Buddhism. And right when everyone was willing to let this whole Buddha thing go, Timothy made it even weirder. He started reading passages from the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Cool. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. yikes. Anything anything with Book of the Dead in the title, if Sam Raimi films have taught me anything, you just don't read it. <laughs> and definitely that? don't like play a tape of somebody else reading it. For those of you that don't know, uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead is a text from 8th century Tibet that helps guide you through the bardo, which is the interval between death and the next rebirth. And Tim believed that the book accurately described what it felt like to take a psychedelic trip, which is not a great motivator you know it's like if someone came up to me and was like man i couldn't find the words to describe how much i love this sandwich and then i found the tibetan book of the dead and i was like <laughs> right there that's what this sandwich is like <laughs> that's what this turkey club is like it's like the next rebirth ow, 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 ow. It's, it's like the nothing before the next thing <laughs> Actually, I've had some sandwiches that were nothing before the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> We've all been to Arby's. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm about to die. Yes, always. <laughs> we have the meats, but we have no future. They also have the meat sweats is what they've got. Oh, no. Meat sweats is what I've been wearing this entire quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> Tim's colleagues were fucking horrified. They were fucking blown away. They had been lied to for months now. Yeah, what could go wrong with this plan? I see nothing. <laughs> they found out that he wasn't working on a guide. He was basically writing a new Bible. He didn't care about research. It was just a ruse to buy more drugs. And everyone else in the Hotel Catalina, everyone that wasn't a psychologist, this meant that they weren't test subjects. They were Tim's followers. And that meant that they were the real test subjects. And the experiment was whether or not Tim could convert them to his new religion. And the answer was about a 50-50 split. Half of the psychologists decided that Tim's dream was one that they wanted to live in. And the other half realized that Timothy Leary had swindled them into a summer-long drug-fueled nonstop party. And many of them, including Baba Ram Das, left the group and denounced Timothy Leary. And all that was left were his truly devoted followers. So despite losing pretty much half of his professional staff, Tim was finally living the good life. He was surrounded by people who shared his vision. He was high literally all of the time. And the hotel bar had just named a cocktail after him. They called it the Ziwatanejo Zombie. Oh, yeah. Just rolls off the tongue. Punchy. Quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's because they were near the, the, the town of Ziwatanejo. And uh, mm -hmm. it, it was called the Ziwatanejo Zombie because that's what his followers look like when they were high on psychedelics. Oh, God. Oh, that's terrifying. 
Is it a variation on the tiki drink, the zombie? It seems like it was. It seems okay. like it was a, a tiki drink made with only Mexican uh, liquor. Okay. okay. That actually sounds pretty good. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm kind of uh, tempted on recreating the recipe and maybe posting it up. Maybe that's something we could work on together. Yes. Yes. Gladly. I yeah, have a, a copy of the original zombie recipe because I have a tiki cocktail recipe book. Dude, Ooh. hell yeah. Yeah, let's totally mm-hmm. do this then. Um, but more than that, things were going really well for him professionally again, too. The Hotel Catalina's owner was so amused by his American guests that he offered Tim a 12-month lease. Tim had also been in talks with a Mexican chemical company that was interested in synthesizing some LSD just for Tim and his project. And, to top it all off, he was asked to address the Mexican Psychoanalytical Association on his work with psychedelic therapy. For the first time since he gave that speech at Copenhagen, Timothy felt like he was a respected psychologist again. Unfortunately, this was exactly like the time he spoke at Copenhagen. Oh no. In the audience at the MPA was a man named Dr. Dionisio Nieto. He was the director of the Medico Biological Institute at the University of Mexico. And just like Herb Kelman before him, he was absolutely appalled at what Timothy Leary had to say. This guy can't catch a break. No! (laughs) It's almost like stop speaking in public, dude. Maybe chill, bro. Dr. Dionisio described Timothy's work as, and I quote, not original, absurd, confused, and valueless. When Tim announced that he had a plan to open up a permanent research center in Mexico, Dr. Dionisio decided it was time to take action because that's what Dr. Dionisio does. I just, that's the character I've created in my head. He's a a mustachioed man. He's very handsome. He's got abs. Um, Mustachioed man, like abs, half horse. He's Amponio Banderas. Yes, (gasps) yes. Imagine Antonio Banderas in a lab coat with the arms ripped off because he's got to show off those guns. I cannot tolerate this abuse of science. <laughs> that was so good. Clip, clop, clip, clop, clip, clop, clip, clop. That's him stomping away from an argument. <laughs> oh, my God. So Dr. Dionisio decided it was time to take action, and he started by taking a gallop to the Hotel Catalina (laughs) to see what the group really looked like. And what he found was not a research project, it was a commune. Beatniks and hippies lounged around doing yoga and chasing imaginary visions through the jungle. And he reported Timothy to the Mexican Federales, who promptly sent over two undercover agents. The agents posed as Mexican journalists, and with pretty much zero amounts of questioning, Timothy just invited them inside and offered them some LSD. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I love that he offers LSD like my southern family offers sweet tea. They're just like, oh, come on, sweetie. Can I offer you a glass of dragon juice? That's my my grandma and pasta uh, was just like, did you eat yet? And you're like, it's 3 p.m. Sit down. I have pasta. Yeah. Her, wait, just... her, your grandma's last name was Ann Pasta? No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, you just walk into Tim's house and he's like, hey, have you tripped yet? And you're like, it's 3 p.m. And he's like, just sit down. <laughs> it's dragging sit down. somewhere. 
So instantly, the Mexican government wanted Timothy gone too. But the use of LSD and psilocybin wasn't technically illegal. So instead, they Al Caponed his ass. Noise. They had all of If If deported for operating a business on a tourist visa. Yeah. Nice. What's up, tax violations? <laughs> yeah. They Get fucking em. got him. In the blink of an eye, all of Tim's progress came crashing down again. He was headed back to America, the federales put an end to his negotiations with the chemical company, and the American government revoked If-If's ability to purchase psychedelics after hearing the news of Timothy's work down south. You don't say. (laughs) Yeah, but then a miracle happened. A few days before If-If was scheduled to be shipped home, they received a letter from a politician from the Commonwealth of Dominica. He had heard about Timothy's attempt to recreate the utopian society from Ireland, and it turns out he was a huge fan of Aldous Huxley, too. The politician told him that he would gladly host If If and could even help them synthesize the LSD that they so badly crave. And again, with zero questioning, Timothy agreed and flew him and the rest of his group to Dominica. Unfortunately, the politician had been a little less than honest with him. It's a trap! He was less of a politician and more of the leader of a group of freedom fighters inspired by Fidel Castro. No! The Dominica Liberation Front promised that Tim would get his utopia, but only after he helped them liberate the country from British rule. Oh, no! Yeah. Oh, God. Some people would call this a catfish. Catfish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mondays on MTV. <laughs> I got there and she had said that she was little Bow Wow this entire time, but then it turns out she's not. So who's been sending me these checks to pay for my Sprint phone? <laughs> Uh, I thought that Amanda was like a super hot blonde, but it turns out that she's the leader of the Dominica Liberation (laughs) (laughs) And her boobs are fake. (laughs) And and honestly, that was the worst part. I just don't think we can start a relationship with lies. Like, (laughs) I'm willing to see where this goes, but I need to know that I could trust you. (laughs) I fucking love that show. I love. I watch way too much catfish. We we have been watching it from the beginning. We're we're just started, and we've been making bets over with over under on if they are who they say they are, and if they're not what we think they look like. Oh, that's the best part of the show. My favorite is there's like one or two episodes where the person turns out to be exactly what they say that they are, and you're just like, what? Oh yeah. why didn't you video chat this person for four years? The fuck is wrong with you? I, I think I've seen one of those episodes where they were like, the person was like, so Chad says his camera has been broken for four years. And then they <laughs> finally, they get to him and they're like, so why didn't you video chat with her? And he's like, oh no, my camera's been broken, camera's for, been four broken years. for four years. <laughs> it's just so stupid. Have you, have you gotten to the one? I, I promise this is the end of this tangent, but. Uh, there's one where this woman gets them to track a guy down that she says has been catfishing her 
and it turns out she's his ex-wife and she's been catfishing him the entire time and this was her ploy to try and like work their issues out <laughs> What? Oh no! Yes, yes. it was so on she, TV the other day. I was oh just my like, "What God. the fuck is happening?" So oh she tricked God. them into participating in some high-end stalking. Yes, she catfished both Neve and Max so that she could catfish her ex-husband, who shows up and is like, "Do I need to call the fucking cops? You know that you're not supposed to contact me." <laughs> I was just oh like, my God! What the fuck? What the literal fuck? Dude, this show's so fucking good. I love this show. And I love Kevin. So, <laughs> getting back to our show, um, it turns out that Big Daddy Britain has had their hands in many pies across this big flat earth of ours. Yes, um, yes. Not the flat part, but yes. <laughs> no, you agree to all of it. Uh, mm. <laughs> so, if you're talking rebellion... This ain't Britain's first rodeo. <laughs> Britain knew all about the brewing revolution, but they had just been quietly keeping tabs. There was no need to really do anything or take any action. But then they found out that the opposition had brought in an American hippie and they freaked the fuck out. <laughs> Think about it. America is arguably Britain's biggest rebel and hippies are rebels against the rebels. They're the <laughs> ultimate rebels. Yeah, but they also like don't have guns and shit. That is true. That is true. They didn't have any guns. Uh, and also, Timothy was a huge pacifist. Within a month, they were deported again. But this time, they decided to flee to the island of Antigua in the West Indies. But this is where things got a lot weirder for his followers. Because they had been welcome in Mexico, at least in the beginning. When they went down to Mexico, they rented a summer vacation place. They went down there. Everyone was cool. It was all awesome, right? But now, they had been kicked out of Harvard University and two countries in just one summer. And what started as a peaceful attempt at creating a utopia had led them to sail to their third country in a boat that was nicknamed the Bucket of Blood. Oh, God. Great, great Norse metal band name. Terrible boat name. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, do you like my boat? Yeah, I couldn't think of a way to describe it until I read the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And then it all just clicked. Yes, Varg and I were uh, assembling our band. We want to know if you would like to join Barket of Blood. Oh no, but do you have a boat? <laughs> <laughs> Coincidentally, yes. <laughs> we burned it though. We burn everything. <laughs> so in Antigua, they tried their best to get back to business, but it just wasn't the same. Without exception, every trip that they took was a very, very bad trip. Before, the trips had been filled with sunshine and beautiful beaches and a good vibe, but now they were being arrested and deported, and every time they took psychedelics, people freaked out because they were in a terrible headspace. In fact, one of Timothy's followers became sure that all of their bad luck was the result of a curse. He thought that somebody had placed a curse on the entirety of If If. And while he was tripping on a super strong dose of LSD, he decided that the only way to end the curse was if he sacrificed himself. Oh, no. 
And so while the group was peeking, he just fucking vanished. He just disappeared into the jungles of Antigua. The worst episode of Indiana Jones ever. <laughs> the curse of the LSD. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the search for what were we looking for again? <laughs> exactly. I don't know. So they notified authorities to be on the lookout for a really tall white dude that was acting, quote, a little bit weird. After a few days, word reached If If that they had found their guy, but getting him wasn't going to be easy. He had been captured and admitted into a mental hospital that was run by a local doctor who was also an ex-Nazi scientist specializing in lobotomies. What the no! fuck? No! What? Oh my god, no! What? No, 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 no. We know exactly what those people are like. This is Colonia Dignidad, just not Colonia Dignidad. And those people are fucking terrifying. Yeah, exactly. So that's what they fucking run Imagine into. Imagine being on ass and that happens to you oh oh my god it's got to be the most terrifying thing ever but luckily luckily they found him in a small wooden cage and he hadn't been lobotomized yet so they helped him and a bunch of other mental patients break out of the hospital and that just kind of brought them more trouble the governor of antigua actually took the ex-Nazi scientist's side and had the entire group kicked out of Antigua. I mean, on the upside. They didn't get lobotomized. Yeah, they're far away from the Nazi scientist. But holy shit, Nazi scientists in South America during this period. Fucking terrifying. Fucking crazy. And Alabama. So now they had nowhere left to run, and the only option was to go back to America. But where could they go back home? Because, like, you know, there's nothing for them there. If they go back, they've just made worse news for themselves behind them. They've gotten kicked out of three countries in one summer. What a crazy summer. <laughs> like, you know, when people are like, my summer was crazy. It's like, have you been kicked out of three countries on LSD crazy and run from a Nazi scientist? <laughs> have a great summer. See you next year. <laughs> Yeah, the only thing that kept him sane was looking at his high school yearbook over and over in that little thing. (laughs) So now they had nowhere left to run, and the only option was to go back to America. And this is when Timothy remembered that the real if-if were the friends that he made along the way. (laughs) I told you. I told you it's only only half of a joke. One of his followers was a woman named Peggy Hitchcock. And she was one of the heirs to the great Melon Fortune. She came from the family that invented boobies. What? <laughs> that's that's not. It's the Melon is in Carnegie yeah, Melon. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, this is some serious money. Yeah. Decades before her great great grandfather Thomas Melon had founded the Melon Bank, which is a mental place where you store memories of boobies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it. Melon. <laughs> Melon Bank is what I call my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Over the years, the Melon family had grown richer and richer, and now Peggy was the owner of a 3,200-acre estate in New York that she called Millbrook. And I'd take you play-by-play through all of the events at Millbrook, but it kind of just, you know, it's just the same story all over again. So instead, I'd like to give you some highlights. Yay! Yay! 
So while at Millbrook, Timothy met and married a woman named Nina von Schliebrugger, a Mexican model whose parents were Danish and German. Her and her brother Bjorn were friends of Peggy Hitchcock, and Nina had fallen in love with Tim's knowledge of Tibetan Buddhism. Unfortunately, the marriage only lasted a year before she filed for divorce, mostly because she had met someone more into Tibetan Buddhism than Tim was. Oh, God. <sighs> she had met a Tibetan scholar and ex-monk named Robert Thurman, and just three years later, they gave birth to their daughter, Uma Thurman. What? <laughs> Yes, uh -huh. I was, yes, yes, yes. I was going to say, I was like, wait a second. Yes. Yes. Uma Thurman's mom once dated Timothy Leary before she found somebody more weird than Timothy Leary. <laughs> that explains why she and Quentin Tarantino have such a good working relationship. <laughs> it feels normal. After his divorce from Nina, Timothy met a woman named Rosemary Woodruff at an art exhibit and asked her to come visit his compound, which is a, oof, that is a big request on a date, on a first date, no less. Well, honestly, though, it's a flex because it's like, hey, girl, you want to come back to my compound? Ooh, kind of. You sound like you're Ooh. in charge and have big religious ideas. Ooh. Are all these red flags yours? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> You know it, baby. Largest collection this side of the Mississippi. <laughs> she, of course, went to his compound and almost immediately moved in with him. And then soon they were married. And the man who married them, by the way, was Ted Markland, a.k.a. Reno from the TV show Bonanza. At the wedding, everyone was high on acid. <laughs> sounds about right. That yeah. Sounds about right. Like, when you're telling your kids about your wedding story, and it was beautiful because I married your father. He was a rainbow back then. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. I'm just thinking of the part where it's like you have to put the ring on the other person's hands, but you're like, I don't have any hands. They don't work anymore. Your hands are so big, but they can't touch each other. How can I entrap your hand with this ring? I bet that I bet that wedding ceremony went on for hours. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm willing to bet that the the they're probably the worst wedding photos of any wedding. Ever. Oh my god, just nobody's looking in the right direction. <laughs> Everyone looks like they're about to bolt all of the photos. Half of the photos are just of the guy's foot. Speaking of wedding photos, uh, I was watching Chris D'Elia's special on Netflix last night. Mm -hmm. And my, I mean, you know, Troy, my wedding photographer is just in the special. And I was like, oh. Yeah, it's Aww, so strange. Oh, that's so cute. So I love Troy. <laughs> so after their very, very weird wedding, uh, Rosemary would later help Tim write a newspaper all about the new ways to get high that they called the Psychedelic Review. <laughs> Four stars for smoking. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, any time. Oh, hold on. We're getting another letter in for the Psychedelic Review. Two stars for the funky potato. <laughs> Needs more bacon and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> so basically just anytime somebody came up with a new way to take a trip with some new drug, mushroom, whatever, they would write a new guide in their newspaper and distribute it to a bunch of colleges across the country. 
which is not a tremendously great idea, but I guess the one thing that it did do was it gave you a list of the risks that you had to know about before you tried a drug. So little column A, little column B. Yeah, I think education is better than abstinence. Oh, yeah, for sure. But he was also like, hey, did you know that you could go to the store and get these seeds called morning glory seeds? And if you chop them up and put them in the drink Coca-Cola, it's like taking cocaine. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's a real thing that they wrote about. So, like, okay, can we still get these seeds? No, because (laughs) after... After the psychedelic review wrote about it, all of these like little mom and pop gardening shops, they were like, wow, I sold a lot of morning glory seeds today. I wonder what this is all about. And then they found out what it was all about and they were like, oh, no. Oh, jeez. Yeah, and so they've started, basically morning glory seeds now are treated with this uh, toxic chemical that allows them to grow, but if you try to eat it, it'll make you very, very sick. Hmm. Yeah, and they did it for no reason other than because they didn't want people to get high. So thanks, Grandma and Grandpa. (laughs) So after marrying Rosemary, Tim started his own official religion. He called it the League for Spiritual Development, or LSD for short. (laughs) Oh my god. Killing it with the acronyms, Tim. (laughs) He finished his Bible that he had been working on since the Hotel Catalina days, and he built an entire service around taking a hit of LSD. But as we've seen more and more over these episodes, the American public was starting to get suspicious of LSD and the people who use it. In response, the Senate created a subcommittee aimed at banning the drug entirely. And of course, Timothy Leary wanted to fight for his right to trip. So Tim acted as an expert witness in the fight towards allowing LSD and other psychedelics to remain legal. He even got up and gave an impassioned speech to Massachusetts Senator Ted Kennedy. Unfortunately, all Ted Kennedy said in response was, Hey, aren't you the guy that slept with my brother's girlfriend, Marilyn? (laughs) Also, I didn't kill that lady. Shh. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just picturing you on the stands like, Welcome to the Hotel Catalina. We're taking LSD. Come trip with me. And everyone's like, do you have facts or paperwork or anything? (laughs) No, man. I mostly just worked on the backing track for this. That's my friend's band. They're pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. My friend's band, you know them, Buckets of Blood. (laughs) (laughs) So Tim's speech, just like all of his other public talks about LSD, didn't go over well. What? Not only was LSD banned in every state of America in October of 1968, but he had only drawn more negative attention to his commune at Millbrook. The estate was raided multiple times by federal agents, and eventually Timothy Leary decided that his goal of creating an island-esque utopia was finished. And while this is the end of Timothy's time as the leader of a free love cult, it wasn't even close to the last interesting thing he'd ever do okay so this is 
the end of our episode pretty much right this is the extent of him being a full-on cult leader like here we've really seen how timothy leary almost led one of the most successful cults ever except he couldn't stop getting up and talking in front of people <laughs> first rule of hotel acapulco don't talk about hotel acapulco or catalina <laughs> whatever so this is essentially a highlight reel of all of the things that Timothy Leary did after his time at Millbrook. Oh, God. While returning from a vacation to Mexico, Timothy's wife, Rosemary, realized that she had forgotten to toss some weed out before they went to customs. And in an attempt to hide it, they convinced Tim's 18-year-old daughter to put the pot in her panties. And that... Did not work at all. <laughs> Tim was convicted for possession of a controlled substance and was sentenced to 30 years in prison and a $30,000 fine. That's intense. For yeah. possession of marijuana? Go fuck yourself. Those maximum minimums are a bitch. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, he was able to appeal the case in 1969 in front of the Supreme Court, and they overturned his conviction and cleared his name fully. <laughs> nice. And on that same day, Timothy announced his candidacy for governor of California, where he would be running against Ronald fucking Reagan. <laughs> Joe Exotic, no! <laughs> I will not change my clothes. I love my tigers. I'm gay as hell. I got a judgment against me from some bitch down in Florida. <laughs> Other than the other than the gay thing, that is Timothy Leary to a T. That yeah. is exactly his life. In order to help his campaign, Timothy reached out to two of his very close friends. They were small-time musicians. You might have heard of them. Their names were John Lennon and Yoko Ono. <laughs> yes. What the fuck? They're going to come up in our speculation zone, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm very sure of that. Together, with a little help from Paul McCartney... They wrote Timothy a campaign song called Come Together. Yep. Oh my God. Yep. That's yep. what that song's about? That song the song Come Together by the Beatles is a uh campaign song for Timothy Leary. And I'd actually I can read you the lyrics because when I read them, they're gonna sound exactly like a campaign song that was written for a hippie. While on LSD. <laughs> Here come old flat top. He come grooving up slowly. He got juju eyeballs. He won holy roller. He got hair down to his knee. Got to be a joker. He just do what he please. Come together right now over me. Yes. Great song. Yes, that, that was exactly what uh, the song is about. It's a campaign song for Timothy Leary. I mean, that explains some of the lyrics. I don't see how you I don't see how you don't understand how it clearly states all of his political positions and his plans for a future for California moving forward. I forgot that Timothy Leary, his main platform was that he was going to be uh, he was going to bring toe jam football and <laughs> monkey finger and Coca-Cola. He said, yes, <laughs> exactly. Walrus gumboot. What? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Um, I, I also would like to remind people that he did not win uh, mm -mm. and he didn't win a state that willingly voted in the Terminator as governor for eight <laughs> years eight years yeah yeah he fucking he lost by a lot yeah that doesn't surprise me there's a lot that also went in from reagan's side if you 
are interested at all, I highly, highly, highly recommend the dollop episodes on Ronald Reagan. They are fascinating. fascinating. They're so, so good. good. <laughs> um, also, Nancy Reagan, uh, famous for giving out the best blowjobs in Hollywood before she married Ron. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. Yes. Yeah. She also really hated Timothy Leary for a couple of reasons, most of them relating to drugs. And like anybody with AIDS. <laughs> After that, in 1970, Timothy was convicted again of possession of marijuana. This time, it was for two roaches he kept in his pocket to smoke later. <laughs> he was sentenced for two roaches. He was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Damn. That is yeah. so crazy. Because <laughs> that's not even... You couldn't even sell two roaches. Like, that's not even possession no. with intent to sell. That's just possession. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I have a roach here in my house. Like, I'll just have, like, a little nubbin of a joint left. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't even want this. And I'll throw it away. Yes. I can't. Yes. You got 20 years in prison. Although, I should say, it is highly speculated that the high charge was due to him fighting the court so hard the year before. Yeah. So they were like, yeah. oh, you want to go to the Supreme Court, do ya? Hmm. Yeah. When he arrived at the prison, he was given a psychological test that would help assign him to an appropriate job. However, what no one seemed to notice was that the test was literally called the Leary Interpersonal Behavior Inventory. <laughs> it was the one he designed? Yes, he wrote what? the goddamn test. <laughs> what? Because before this, he was an expert in behavioral uh, change. Oh, my God. And he'd done the prison prison experiments for behavior modification. Exactly. He wrote the test that he took when he got to prison. That's hilarious. Did he pass? Timothy answered the questions in a way that painted him as a conforming and conventional person with a great interest in gardening. (laughs) (laughs) as a result he was shipped to a lower security prison and assigned to work as a gardener and the prison found out he wasn't quote conforming and conventional because he escaped from prison in 1971 (laughs) (laughs) and i mean at at this point I gotta give him credit. Right? <laughs> like, like, let him go. <laughs> like, that's... You win. <laughs> yeah. You see why I have a hard time discerning what is and isn't real in his autobiography? Because you're like, all right, dude, some of these are fucking insane. You've got to be shit. <laughs> yeah, dude. what the fuck? Timothy paid a group called The Weathermen $25,000 to bust him out of prison. The Weathermen were a radical leftist militia that came from the University of Michigan. Okay. The Weathermen smuggled Timothy Leary and his wife Rosemary to Algeria, where they stayed with the last remaining leaders of the Black Panther Party, who were also on the run from the U.S. government. What the fuck? I hear Algeria is beautiful. I'm just saying. (laughs) But it wasn't long before Leroy Eldridge Cleaver, the Panthers' leader, kicked them out for constantly (laughs) trying to get his men to try LSD. (laughs) Knock it off. They've got guns. Stop it. They really are the Jehovah's Witnesses of LSD. (laughs) Have you heard the good word about dragons and how we're all connected and also Buddha and an island society? 
What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) The couple left Algeria and traveled to Switzerland, where they met and moved in with a nice young LSD enthusiast named Michael Hutchard. Unfortunately, what they soon found out was that Michael Hutchard was an illegal arms dealer who wanted to hold Tim hostage. (laughs) From who? From who? No one wants him. He's going to be like, yes, will you give me a million dollars or I'll kill him? People are like, no, we'll keep our money. Thanks. (laughs) After they got out of that, Rosemary decided it was time to leave Tim behind, which is probably a great decision. Good for her. Good for her. They divorced and she flew back to America where she lived as a fugitive until 1990. Damn. Oh, so she was a fugitive just for helping Tim. Yeah, of course. She yeah. she helped her husband break out of prison and then escape to Algeria, hung out with the Black Panthers, and then hung out with an arms dealer in uh, Switzerland. Okay, I guess it's a crime or whatever. It's a busy Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, on the other hand, wasn't ready to go back, so he fled to Afghanistan, mostly because they didn't have an extradition deal with the United States. But Timothy had fucked up that too. He flew to Afghanistan on an American airliner and he was arrested, sent back to the U.S. and convicted because you can still arrest somebody on an American airline. Right, right. When he got back to the United States, he was facing 95 years in prison, but luckily he had an ace up his sleeve. He became an informant for the FBI's case against the Weathermen. That's cold. Also, just so you know, his very real FBI code name was Charlie Thrush. <laughs> Gross. Mm. Isn't Thrush the disease that babies get when they their faces get all red? No, it's a yeast infection in your throat. Interesting. I was going to say Charlie Thrush sounds like a great porn star name, but now I think it sounds like a terrible porn star name. Yeah, it's it's a yeast infection in your throat. You can get it a number of different ways, but one of the ways that people claim that you get it is uh, oral sex. Interesting. Oh, no. Hmm. So after helping the feds as a fucking narc, he was sentenced to an additional five years on top of his remaining 10 from, you know, before he broke out of prison. That's not too bad. And instead of letting him go back to gardening in a minimum security joint, they sent Timothy to Folsom Prison, where he lived in a cell directly next to Charles fucking Manson. Hey, buddy. How's it going? I hear you garden. <laughs> you know, I rate this cell four stars. Still a pretty good Airbnb, if I'm being honest. No water bottles, though. No water bottles. Uh, <laughs> they never they never got to see each other. They were never taken out of their cells at the same time. But they could and did talk very frequently. And apparently Manson found it hard to believe that Tim had given people LSD without trying to convince them to kill people. (laughs) What's the point, man? What a waste. At one point, Manson even told Timothy, and I quote, They took you off the streets so that I could continue your work. Fuck. Not wrong. No. Leary was released from prison on April 21st, 1976, which is tomorrow. Oh, shit. Yeah. 
It's the 44th anniversary. It's almost like they let him out one day after 420 just so that he would have to wait a whole nother year. (laughs) (laughs) He was released, by the way, from prison uh, by Governor Jerry Brown. So, you know. (laughs) Which uh, here, side note, Jerry Brown is also the governor that has uh, refused to let Leslie Van Houten and Tex Watson out of prison, even though they've met parole multiple times. He, he overturned it multiple times. Yeah. He also was the governor that didn't play the Terminator, so he can get fucked. <laughs> Come with me if you want to live in an economically stable California. <laughs> he was also known for taking on a massive amount of godchildren, including actress Winona Ryder. I did know this about Winona Ryder, actually. Tim continued to give lectures throughout the rest of his life. He also at some point began convinced that the only place he could truly create a utopia was in outer space. Um, Although in 1995, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer and realized that his dream of creating a real life Paula would never come true. Timothy Leary passed away on May 31st, 1996, surrounded by friends and family. His last words were, why, why not? Many different plans were made about what to do with Tim's body. Before he died, he had expressed an interest in being cryogenically frozen. But... Of course, of course he fucking did. But then they found out that they only had enough money to freeze just his head. (laughs) On that Walt Disney drip. (laughs) It's about to be some Futurama shit, bro. So instead, Timothy Leary's remains were cremated. Half of his ashes, and this is not a joke, half of his ashes were put onto a rocket and sent to orbit in outer space. Um, And the other half was given to another goddaughter of his, actress Susan Sarandon. And in 2015, Susan Sarandon took his ashes to Burning Man, where they were put into an art installation. The installation was, of course, later burned, comma, man. And that brings us to the end of our series on Timothy Leary. Nice. So, yeah, what did you, uh, what did y'all think? What did y'all think about this man's crazy fucking life? I mean... At a certain point when he kept escaping and shit, I was just like, okay. <laughs> like, I almost want you to have your dream because you're trying so hard. <laughs> right? But not because, you know. <laughs> yeah, at a certain point, you just can't knock the hustle. Like, you're just like, damn, all right, for sure, dude. Respect. A little yeah. bit of respect. Yeah, it's hard out there for a pimp. Exactly. I, you know, I think that if he wants to do LSD in his spare time, that's fine. But maybe trying to push that agenda on other people isn't cool. Just the way I feel about really all religions and drugs is like, you do you. Well, not all drugs. Some drugs, no one should do meth. Uh, (laughs) But, you know. Mescaline. Yeah, recreationally, in your own time, once in a while, have a good time. But don't say it's like research when you're making a cult, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do heroin on your own time. Exactly. (laughs) And change time. (laughs) The Timothy can have a little LSD. As As a a treat. treat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So 
So this episode, just like every episode, is brought to you by Timothy Leary's Treats, LSD Bites. <laughs> Find them at your local Albertsons or behind your local Albertsons. No. What? <laughs> oh, my God. No, no, no. I should be honest. Our, 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 uh, our episode is sponsored by our wonderful, beautiful Patreon donors. We love you. So much. Uh, this week, I have two names. Um, and so this episode is sponsored in part by Sarah Michelle. Thank you, Sarah Michelle. Thank you, Sarah oh, Michelle. I loved you in all of those 90s movies. Thank you. <laughs> I love Jason Siegel in Forgetting Sarah Michelle. <laughs> Sarah Michelle. I love her in the the story about the girl with two first names. Oh, that's pretty. Yeah. This is the only two first name person I've ever not been sure was a terrorist or something. <laughs> How's Freddie Prince doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then our second name is uh, this episode is brought to you by Detective Pegacop, a.k.a. The Wings of Justice. <laughs> <laughs> Detective Pegacop to keep kids off elves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, these are both very great names. Thank you so much uh, for donating to our Patreon. We and love you. We do. We do. We do so, so much. much. Uh, if you want to join our Patreon or learn more about it, you can go to patreon.com slash cult podcast uh, for just $5 a month. You get access to our bonus show, The Speculation Zone, and a shout out on the show. Um, there's also a bunch of other really great tiers, too, so go ahead and check that out. That website is patreon.com slash cult podcast once again. Um, hey, for this one, I'm going to say if you... Oh, boy, this is a... This is a this is a long shot, but if any of you out there have a little bit left of Timothy Leary's ashes, I would like to put it in a blunt and smoke I it. I think you'd want that. So, so if you if you know Susan Sarandon, if you know Susan Sarandon, contact me for other just other reasons in general. Um, I have a project for Susan Sarandon. It's uh, it's essentially uh, Saran wrap, but with her branding on it. Susan Sarandon's Severe Saran Rap <laughs> is what the working title is called. I'm very high. It is 420. Give me a break. I don't know if you know, but Susan Sarandon is the heir to the Saran Rap fortune. <laughs> no, I'm not serious at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> Happy 420, Blaze. I would have believed it. <laughs> After all the twists and turns in this episode, I'm like, okay, yeah. anything is real. If you if you, if you have a little bit of Timothy Leary's ashes, or I'll say, for those of you that don't, if you want to give me a little bit of your grandparents' ashes, I will put it in a blunt, I will smoke it up, and we'll do one big for old grandpa. No. That's um, how you get mad cow disease, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I, yeah. Let's get mad high disease. <laughs> Anyway, if you want me to smoke your grandma or grandpa, um, just send a little bit of them to me on Instagram or Twitter at Mondo Does Stuff. That's M-A-N-D-O Does Stuff. Um, or you can go to my website, I'llSmokeYourGrandpa.org. <laughs> um, and yeah, I love you so much. Thank you. Bye. Hey guys, Andrea here. Uh, what have I been up to in quarantine? Mostly making toilet paper squares into art. 
if you want to check those out, you can check them out at Andrea Gazetta. And you can also send me your craziest summer story. How many countries did you get kicked out of? I want to <laughs> hear about it. I'm I, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt, but just really quick, I do want to point out that Andrea has been making awesome art using toilet paper squares and embroidery and ink. It's super great. They're super awesome, um, and she sold almost every single one. But now I can legally say that Andrea Gazetta, during a pandemic, sold squares of toilet paper for at least fifty dollars each. <laughs> profiteering baby it doesn't count if you call it art (laughs) but for real for real though i will be making a zine from that toilet paper art along with my friend who's a poet and we are going to donate the proceeds from that to a group that helps undocumented citizens during this pandemic because they can't apply for government assistance and they might not be able to even have health care so this is helping them just get basic necessities and also pay for like bills and stuff like that so yeah, yeah that's if you, super nice. If you want a zine, uh, we're going to do just like a pre-order only thing because I'm going to just get them printed and that's how many there will be. So follow me on Instagram to or Facebook to hear more about that if you want to donate or get a zine or just donate to the project. Yeah. I have to look up the name again. <laughs> you can be part of Andrea's profiteering scam. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, have turned into a full-blown doomsday prepper. Uh, <laughs> I, so I know I joked last time about making cheese, but I am probably going to start making cheese. Uh, I did order a second hydroponic garden because our tomatoes and our basil are coming in great and we're going to be able to grow some other stuff. Uh, and then I stay on my bread nonsense. So if you want to see all of that, follow me at Rampage Wesley on Instagram or Page Wesley on Twitter and yeah, uh, check out my carbs. I like how, uh, so I've been, you know, we're, we're obviously doing remote recording still. So I'm viewing you through the screen of, uh, you know, a webcam. Right. Um, and I think it's funny that I can see into your life in quarantine because at every given second, either your husband or Dennis the cat is in the frame, which means that you are always being cuddled by a giant hairy beast. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Dennis is actually just out of frame. He's right here. I can touch and pet him. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. A few minutes ago, we were trying to do the, you know, the plugs and I just saw him like, what's His up? His whole face. Hey, can I, can I <laughs> yeah. get in here? I got to plug Dennis's Instagram. I'm a cat, but I need the followers. Straight up, does Dennis have an Instagram though? Because I would follow that. Same here. He does not. I, I thought about starting one a while back and then didn't. And so I just put pictures of him on my Instagram all the time. So he's a very handsome boy. He's such he's a, a very handsome, handsome boy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like the show and you want to see, oh, I'll make sure to share a picture of me and Dennis the cat because I still have that. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you want to see that picture and support the show, you can follow us on Instagram at Colt Podcast or on Twitter at Colt Podcast Show. You can also send us an email to coltpodcastshow at gmail.com. And if you want to send us um, your like LSD-inspired cocktail recipes that don't include actual drugs, uh, <laughs> you can send them to us. Or if you have cool tiki mugs to put them in, you can send them to us at 3756 West Avenue 40, Suite K, number 237. Like, like the, the shining. shining. Los Angeles, California, 90065. And I'm going to say don't drink 
don't drink any tiki drinks that Timothy Leary hands you. <laughs> Especially the Zia Zia uh what is it? The Zia Tanejo zombie. <laughs> right, right, right. And don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye. Here come old flat top, he come grooving up slowly, he got juju apple, he want holy roller, he got hair down to his knees. Got to be a joker, he, he just do what he please. He wear no sunshine, he got toad in football, he got monkey fingers, he shoot. Coca-Cola, he say, I know you, you know me. One thing I can tell you is you got to be free. Come together right now. Over me, over weed. <laughs> I've got that Coca-Cola right now. Bang, bang, bang. I shoot that Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs>